But Sean McCoy, like, I don't want him leading my locker room, to be honest. Uh, it'll probably break out into an orgy or something. I don't know. <laughs> So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, the one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. It's the final podcast of 2016, the year where everybody died and fascism won, so we'll be glad to put that behind us. For this week, we're going to be looking again at the playoff permutations. We have a much clearer picture of what's going on, but there's still a few things that need to be settled that could make the final week of games quite interesting. After that, we're going to be looking at some of the other news, uh, reviews of the games from last week, and the picks for next week. So, I've got myself Harry here as usual, and with me we have Connor. Hey, guys. He's returned from the wilderness, and Ronan. Hello. Returned from the wilderness is strong. I'm still in the wilderness, that's why I'm phoning in. <laughs> you've, you've moved from, <laughs> from one wilderness to another one. That's true, it's true. I'm now in the Donegal wilderness rather than the Kerry wilderness. One with slightly better internet, so, uh, so we're all good here. <laughs> so here's hoping it holds. Absolutely. Well, if you, if you disappear for any reason, we'll know, we'll know what's to blame, which is Ireland's terrible, terrible rural broadband strategy. So, look, we have the infrastructure of a third world country. It's a miracle we're able to get this podcast out to you um, every week. But, you know, we do our best. Look, let's, I think we'll, we've got a fair bit to get through here. Um, there's a lot happening with the playoffs. There's some good, really good stuff to talk about last week that obviously was critical in deciding the, uh, deciding the postseason. So we'll get straight on with that. Let's look at what's happening with the playoff teams. In the AFC, I think we'll start with the AFC because, you know, everything is pretty cleaned up there. We now know who's going to be in the playoffs. The real question is... What order? We now know that Houston are going to be the number four seed, having won the AFC South, but being too bad to overtake anyone ahead of them. Pittsburgh have the number three seed locked up. They're not going to be able to catch any of the uh, other teams. Miami have a wildcard position confirmed, and Kansas City will also be in the playoffs. We know all of these things have happened. The question is, what's going to happen next? New England, Oakland, and Kansas City are all playing for a bye. New England have well, New England have a bye, but they're playing for home field the whole way through the playoffs. Kansas City versus Oakland, that's where it's going to be interesting, the division uh, settling in. The permutations are as follows. If Oakland lose and Kansas City win, Kansas City will take the AFC West. Otherwise, Oakland will take it, and Kansas City will then also take a spot straight into the divisional round. In the terms of the number one seed, if New England lose and Oakland win, Oakland will take it. Otherwise, it's New England. Kansas City will then obviously be a wild card. And in terms of... The number five seed, which can still flip between Kansas City and Miami, if Kansas City lose and Miami win, then Miami will take that, Kansas City will have a lower seed, otherwise Kansas City. So they're all kind of contingent on each other, and there's a lot of sort of moving parts in there. So I guess what I want to know from you guys is, what do you think is going to happen here? What do you think is going to be this most the most likely outcome of what we're going to see? Are New England going to be able to lock up that home field? And who's going to take the West? Because that, I think, is what's really interesting here. Yeah, like it should be an interesting weekend for games. There's uh, there could be more on the line, but there's not as we as you mentioned, a few things are locked up. But there's a lot of mixing and matching that kind of four teams can do. So I'm obviously very impressed as a Kansas City Chiefs fan. I'm looking forward to seeing hopefully Chiefs win. Oakland, it would feel almost like a hollow taking of the division if it happens because of the injury that happened to their quarterback. That I'm sure we'll talk about later on. But uh, I, I I would very much like to to see the Chiefs taking it. I think it's going to end up. Regardless, with New England taking the taking the first overall, uh, and then I think KC might be able to edge it, but we'll talk about that later on. But it should be a very interesting section of games. Yeah, it should be it should be good to see. It's nice to keep things alive in that final week of the season and keep some interest going. Roland, do you think uh, home field really matters that much in the playoffs? Is this going to be a big deal for the teams to secure that buy and for New England to secure home field the whole way through? 
I think certain teams, it makes a big, big difference. So I think New England is one team where they certainly, Foxborough is generally considered a bit of a fortress uh, and not a very nice place to go. Kansas City, of course, Arrowhead, one of the loudest stadiums in the country. Obviously one of the most inhospitable during S- winter sorry as well. Sorry, Seahawks fan, and one of. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. We'll leave that aside right now. But <laughs> as well as being quite loud and having a good crowd, it's also quite inhospitable. It's a very tough uh, place to go to, obviously very not not quite nice if you're coming from like the uh, coming from like the west coast for example and of course like you know like I think all of these these matchups first I think like the number one seed could have made more of a difference but because of the situation happening in Oakland I think that's probably gone down in terms of its importance if Miami were able to jump Kansas City in fifth seed highly unlikely I imagine but if they were that's massive because obviously the number three seed is Pittsburgh and the number four seed is Houston if there's any chance for Miami to hop and like to hop over over KC, they are going to try and do that. And the fact that they'll they'll have an opportunity to do so against their division rival and someone that they'll possibly have to play to make it to the Super Bowl is uh, all, makes it all will make that all the more interesting. But I think more or less, if you're a betting man, the only real thing that that's likely to change is the AFC West. And even though it'll be a hollow victory, I'm sure Connor and the rest of the Kansas City faithful will be more than happy to take a hollow victory. And, Bring more and more teams to Arrowhead. Yeah, they they all they all count. Even hollow victories, they're all there. They're all wins in the win column. And uh, yeah, everybody does want to play Houston now. For those of you, well, nobody knows the context of this about that uh, stadium thing. I mean, in general, everyone knows the context about the stadium. Earlier in the in the year, I can't remember what happened, but myself and Connor had an almost ten minute long sidetrack chat about how great Arrowhead was. And we ended up cutting it, obviously, because nobody wants to hear us talk about stadium design for 10 minutes but it did happen so <laughs> it was very interesting Harry it was the I people, thought it was re- the people are missing out I thought it was really interesting but I can't say our listeners would agree and I think Ronan's been waiting to get his little uh, <laughs> CenturyLink chat in there but no we're not we're not going to do that we're not going to make you suffer through suffer through that that'll be in the offseason oh yeah well definitely when we're looking for stuff to, to fill with we'll, we'll talk about it uh, we'll talk about stadium the design podcast. absolutely absolutely we're, we're sort of I've uh, got many strings to our bow here on this podcast and uh, that is just one of them so that's the situation in the AFC. Relatively settled, but there's a little bit, of, a little bit of intrigue. The NFC is a little more interesting. It looked like it might be a bit more straightforward heading into it, but the way things worked out in the AFC just settled things up very, very nicely last week. So in terms of what we know, we know Atlanta have won the South. We know Dallas is the number one seed after they hockeyed the Detroit Lions on Monday Night Football, and the Giants have officially tied up the fifth seed. They're the best wild card team. This is where it gets a little bit more interesting. The NFC North. Green Bay at Detroit, which has now been flexed onto Sunday Night Football, so we'll have a bit more of a, an interesting game there. The winner of that takes the division, and that has ramifications the whole way, you know, down the playoff line. In terms of the final wild card spot, then it's Washington, uh, technically Tampa Bay, although I think they might need Washington to tie to get into that. I'm not quite sure that'll work out. And the uh, runner-up of the NFC North, so whoever loses between Green Bay and Detroit, and then the other pieces, of course, Ronan's boys, um, Seattle, sort of. Inconsistency towards the end come back to bite them. The number two seed is now pretty much in Atlanta's hands. If they win, they'll get that. Whereas if they lose and Seattle wins, Seattle will get the number two seed. So again, uh, that bye week and uh, potential home field for a game is very much there to play for. This is, I think, a little bit more of a complex situation and I think gives us a few more games to watch than we would have in the other conference. What I want to know, guys, and I've got to, I've got to run them first since Seattle are involved in this, is like we're seeing the time where teams who've tied up the playoff spot will be, you know, resting starters, will be uh, perhaps taking it easy, trying to prevent en- injuries this week. Do you see that uh, number two seeding as being a big enough deal for Seattle and Atlanta to both be going all out this week? 
Yeah, I like. I think with with the Seattle, there's probably less of a need because they're playing San Francisco and San Francisco footballs. <laughs> um, so they'll they'll obviously be looking to to make an like establish a statement win before the playoffs go. And for Atlanta, of course, that number two seed matters because if they don't get the number two seed, then they're like it's possible that they'll end up having to go to CenturyLink or or to to Dallas's home rather than be able to play. Uh, in their dome, like they're a dome team that does make a difference for them. And if they were in a open, like in an open field, like Seattle, for example, that could make a difference to them. Also, the fact that they're playing like a division rival in New Orleans means that you know you never want to lose to New Orleans, particularly because you know these are two teams who are probably the most explosive in their division. So I don't think either of these teams are going to back down. I think getting that home field advantage and skipping a game is totally worth putting your stars there. So I don't expect either of these teams to stand back. Um, so yeah, I think both those games should at least be interesting and worth watching. That's, that's very yeah. fair. Although I'm not sure Seattle stomping a hole through San Francisco is going to necessarily be uh, worth watching. But we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Connor, then, in terms of the NFC North, this is a little bit of a weird one because Green Bay have come absolutely piling back into it uh, after a very, very wobbly start to the season. And we've seen them play basically the football that we knew they could and we're waiting for them to play pretty much all season. Regardless of what happens in this game, is this a team now that's really suddenly found its feet and is going to be able to make a Super Bowl run? Because it's starting to look that way to me. It could do. It depends. They've kind of pasted over issues that they've had in bringing in wide receivers to play running back to, I will say, are playing exceptionally well at those positions. But it's whether or not that's sustainable. And even if you're only talking about a three, four game run, like that's... That's something that needs to stay consistent and stay producing. Like, if they injure that wide receiver, who have they got to sit in behind him? Rodgers is, to me, the possibly the best quarterback playing at the moment, but also the streakiest and the most mm. the most could go either way. He's essentially a coin flip on whether or not he is going to play, like, an MVP or whether he's going to play, like, what we saw kind of week seven, week eight of kind of playing well but not managing to close out games, making mistakes... They are set up like a team that could, if everything goes right, absolutely run all the way to the playoffs and go to Titan on it. But I'm not sure. When we look at other teams, when we look at New England, when we look at Seattle, when we look at those kind of entities where you got to go, losing someone or being facing adversity isn't going to... They're not going to put their heads down. They're not going to drop. They can see their way through that. I'm not sure if this is a team that can do that. So I want to see that from them before I kind of kiss them into the, into the Super Bowl. Yeah, that, that's very fair. I think this game against Detroit will will tell us a little bit more about This is about a big one. Team. This is a big one. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Um, and we have seen, of course, Green Bay, even with home field, struggle at times in the playoffs in recent years because of, yeah, they're so contingent on one or two pieces playing out of their mind. Specifically, Aaron Rodgers, also guys like Jordy Nelson. I uh, hope everyone heard the can open there. Nice and classy. We keep it classy on this podcast. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Hey. Uh, yeah. Well, I suppose it is. Christmas is twelve days or whatever, technically. So um, we're not. We're not. We're not currently working, and we're having turkey for dinner. So that seems Christmas enough. You're not currently working, but I am. You're not currently working either, Harry. You well, finished up an hour ago. Literally right now. <laughs> Dick. Okay. So yeah. So that's the situation in the playoffs. Um, still a lot to play for. We're gonna. We're looking forward to I think these week seventeen games now. Keep it a little bit of intrigue. Personally, I'm hoping for some kind of tie to get Tampa Bay into the playoffs because that will just be hilarious. That's the kind of season we've had this year. (laughs) I'm not sure that's necessarily going to happen. So yeah, we'll see how all of that works out. In other news, uh, we've had a few 
Little bits and pieces, nothing too significant for the most part. But one that came in just as we were about to record, and obviously as you know we record this on Tuesdays, Buffalo have fired Rex Ryan and obviously have got rid of Rob Ryan as part of that because, I mean, why else would you keep Rob Ryan hanging around? Anthony Lynn is now the interim head coach. The guy who was brought in when Rex Ryan uh, stabbed Greg Romano in the back has now been promoted when the Pegulas stab Rex Ryan in the back. So... He's sort of, I don't know, is that like, I, I don't watch Game of Thrones, is that like a little finger or somebody like that? He's just sort of waiting for everybody else to bump each other off so he can make his, uh, he can make his play. Yeah, that, that's the one, yeah. That's the one, excellent. See, see, it's amazing what you pick up by cultural osmosis. They've also made a, an odd decision they've announced this week that Tara Taylor is going to be benched uh, and they're going to have another look at EJ Manuel. I, I don't know what they're expecting to see from EJ Manuel, but Doug, Doug Whaley is still there for some reason, so presumably his call. I think, you know, there was sort of a hint that this was going to happen over the last few weeks, and we saw some blunders, shall we say, uh, particularly in that last game, directly attributable to Rex Ryan with timeouts and with getting the right number of players on the field. Where does this leave Buffalo? Are, is this that they want to roll on with Antti Lynn, or are they looking at, like, saying, right, we're just going to have to completely rip up again from the Rex Ryan era and move on to a new personnel, a new way of playing? I haven't the slightest, to be honest. Like, I don't know a huge amount about Anthony Lynn and his his approach. So, I suppose we'll see a bit this week. It seems weird to have so much, so many moving pieces in one week. Like, it seems like there's no way this is going to give us any information that will allow us to know what the what the end outcome is going to be. To be honest, it's a weird. Like, you know, the team has not been good, but it hasn't been bad either. It's kind of stuck in that kind of awkward position of being one of the mid tier teams. But, you know, they got Tyrod Taylor and he's played pretty well. Now, the problem is there's a massive option over him, I think, for $30 million, that they're kind of like, is he good enough to be worth that? But if you look over the roster, there's plenty of talent here. And I think it's probably one of those jobs, like, I think it's just one of those cases that Rex Ryan, when he loses, is so, uh, I hate to say, just annoying. But he is annoying. He doesn't, there's never that sense that Rex Ryan is someone who's going to turn this around and turn something else. You kind of feel that his level is making a mediocre team. He's had like the one little bit of success when he inherited the Jets and put them to the, to the AFC Championship game. But ever since then, it's just been a churn of being like, okay, but not great. I think we, we said this earlier, like in last offseason, when he hired Rob Ryan, that was the move of a man who wasn't looking to build bridges, who was looking to say, hey, I do it my way, this is the Rex Ryan way, or the only way is the Rex Ryan way. And that's great and all, but when you take that risk and you pull out that attitude, you're going to get shit-canned unless you deliver results. He didn't deliver results, so this can't be really unexpected. Fair for both of you. It's an interesting spot for Buffalo to land into, and um, a lot of unknowns there, but it is ultimately Rex once again. Uh, sort of digging his own grave in, in a lot of ways. Uh, it is interesting in terms of benching of Taylor. Part of it is to do with money, especially if, I think if he gets injured, his uh, money becomes guaranteed or something like that, so they definitely don't want to risk oh, that. Oh, could be, yeah, like, a, like the Kaepernick issue. Exactly, exactly. But also, it's interesting to see if he's sort of tainted by that association as being sort of Rex Ryan's guy. The Anthony Lynn thing is a bit weird, and I'll be interested to see if they endure with that, because... I think a lot of the problems with Buffalo, um, they had a really, really good defense when Ryan took over, but that was a 4-3 defense under Jim Schwartz, who's now, uh, I think, in Philadelphia. Ryan only runs a 3-4, switched into a 3-4. The personnel haven't really been able to adapt. I'm going to be very interested to see if there's a change in defensive coordinator or a move to a defensive-minded head coach long-term rather than Lynn, who is an offensive-minded head coach, because that's currently, despite the team's struggles on offense, the defense has been the better part of the team, but is playing way below the level that we know that talent can produce at from what was happening directly before the Rex Ryan era. I want to see Buffalo move... Well, I don't want to see... I want to see the AFC East continue to be a really stupid division that the Patriots can dominate with minimal <laughs> effort. But if I were a Buffalo fan, I would want to see the team sort of looking to actually move in that direction and move uh, back to a defense that suits the personnel rather than defense that suits 
are Rex Ryan. Honestly, when you look at this, there's one game left. They're going to swap the quarterback for it to have a look at what's happening. Like, what's the value of ditching these guys a game before the end of the season? What is it? It's a statement, I think. And I think you look at the Jaguars coaches recent, most recently, Gus Bradley. Bradley it's yeah. like this result is just an unacceptable epitomization of everything that's gone wrong with you in this organization. Similarly here, I think it's like, look, when you have that monkeying around with the timeout on the on the field goal that got completely messed up when they tried to ice the kicker, when you go into overtime and um, JHI is able to rip off a massive run because you couldn't get 11 players onto the field, apparently the one player who they thought was on the field was actually off being evaluated for a concussion at the time. So that tells you everything you need to know about the level of organization for the coaching staff. I think those little errors add up, and when it happens in such a high-profile critical game that technically eliminates the team and puts a rival into the playoffs... It's, it's just that thing, because it seems silly to me that kind of have all this shite going on for your last game, when we already we already knew this was happening. Like, oh. I don't think Anthony Lynn is going to show us anything in one game. I don't think... Yeah, I just... I, I, I don't know. It just seems like they want to make a statement rather than give a toss about whether it impacts the team. I agree. I, yeah, I, like, basing firings on when Twitter's angry rather than when it makes sense. Yeah, like it's it's a it's a bit like the kind of like the reactionary stuff we see from the league around like disciplinary stuff. It seems more like it's a PR reaction. We're moving on this quickly rather than anything that's actually providing any outcome. True, true, and I think that may be a result of a, a relatively inexperienced ownership. I mean, the Peelers have only been in charge of the team for a few years, so that could definitely have yeah. have something to do with it. Uh, best of luck to Rex Ryan. We'll see where he lands. Still, obviously, a very talented defensive coach, unlike Rob, who shouldn't be anywhere near a football team. So you know, he might this might have hurt his rep a bit. Might have to take a couple of years out of the game, but I'm sure we'll see him back. In one form or another, although probably not immediately as a head coach anyway, if ever again. Speaking of teams in the Northeast who have sad things happening, Todd Balls was hospitalised, he had chest pains and vomiting. He was able to make the game, so it looks like he was alright, which is a relief. Hasn't been a great year for coaches in terms of getting hurt and getting sick. So, you know, we're just relieved that it was nothing uh, nothing serious for him. Uh, not much more Should to have say. missed that game, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he probably would have felt better if he hadn't turned up. I mean, if he, if, he, if he was recovering beforehand, I'd say he felt very sick afterwards. But, you know, that's the Jets for you. So, Minnesota, a couple of things. Minor incident, plane went off the runway, slight delay, nobody hurt. They evacuated everyone, it was fine. And then we got to the game, which was a bad game from them. The defensive backs, for the first now, the coach said it was for the first series. The players themselves said it was the first two series. Um, went off script. Very strange goings on here. Um, guys, do you want to explain what happened here and think why this might have happened? Yeah, so um, Terrence Newman, basically they wanted to cover Jordy Nelson with Xavier Rhodes. So Xavier Rhodes is their, their number one quarterback, obviously first round pick. Obviously they're very high in him, he'd be very good this year. So it's like Jordy Nelson is their main weapon, put your best cornerback on him. You know, pretty standard footballing things. But Terrence Newman basically said to the coaches, I'm good enough. I should be able to cover Jordy. Now, as it happened, Jordy Nelson went all over them in the first half and in the first series as well. So that kind of ended up looking a bit stupid. But it kind of shows that there's a coach there, like a team there, which uh, you know started very well and which the defense was core to the you know identity of that squad, but which down the stretch has really just fallen apart, both you know as an organization, but also especially on the defense, really hasn't lived up to its early season uh, reputation. It's kind of there's a lot of questions there about where that leaves the organization as, uh, as a whole and the coaching staff, uh, Mike Zimmer as well, when the team starts having these rebellious acts. It, it seems to have got really ugly down there very fast in Minnesota. It'll be interesting to see whether they can pull this together in the off season and kind of keep it together. Yeah, it, it is a bit worrying. It's actually because actually Rhodes did quite a good job when he uh, started covering Nelson. He only allowed two catches for quite a low number of yards, whereas Newman got torched repeatedly. So, yeah, a bit worrying when the DBs are going against the coach and then also making a mess of it. Um, I've seen the media statements. Zimmer's handled it about as well as one could possibly hope for, but this is 
this is de- yeah definitely a, a sign that things are turning sour in Minnesota once the success started to slip away from the team. So we'll see if that leads to any uh, personnel changes in the offseason. Newman is already quite old, so he's probably not doing himself any favors in that regard. We had an interesting little quirk uh, this week. Neither Super Bowl team from last year made the playoffs. It's the first time this happened in 13 years. I think both Denver and Carolina uh, eliminated Denver this week. I think Carolina might have been the week before. They were technically eliminated this week, but were effectively for a while. Uh, Connor, is this just a coincidence, or is this perhaps a sign that we're seeing a bit more instability around the league than we perhaps used to? Well, I think we're seeing we're seeing an awful tendency in a lot of the a lot of the very successful teams that where you see them being successful is where they have young rookies or cheap players on their roster, so they're able to then pay for premium players at other positions. You look at the success of Seattle a couple of years ago and how they had a very cheap contract in Russell Wilson and a number of other players that they were able to then focus money elsewhere. The problem is then once you win a Super Bowl, and we saw it especially this year you then start to not be able to pay all those players. And given that it's a very kind of because of the rookie cap, rookie focus, get in cheap players and try and perform within this window, you're seeing a greater loss of talent from these teams. You look at the number of defensive pieces from Denver that left, you see the, the obviously the loss of the quarterback, even though he wasn't playing well, but was very smart. You look at uh, Carolina and you see the loss of like how different their defense looks this year to what it did last year. What we're seeing is a greater flow of talent from the teams that are the most successful because other teams are willing to pay them. And because of the stark difference between what the rookie pay scales are and what people will pay for people who have won a Super Bowl. And I think that's more obvious now that we're a couple of years into the current CBA and the new rookie rules than it would have been previously. But it's not that much of an outlier. It's just that it's far more obvious now because we see how much you know Washington uh, are willing to pay for a cornerback who might have been good, but probably not as good as they paid him, but how important he was to that defense. So we're seeing a loss of talent on a larger scale, but not in a way that should surprise us. Yeah, it is a way now, like you say, with the, with the way pay scales are going and with the cap, our teams might become perhaps victims of their own success to a large extent. Much like Denver, I think, perhaps more guilty of this than Carolina, but rosters that are built to win, win now kind of rosters. Uh, an interesting one, one to keep an eye on, I think, over the next few years to see whether or not this uh, is the start of a pattern, as, as you mentioned, established by the, the changes in pay and the changes in the in the pay scale. Now, we had last week almost no significant injuries, and uh, this week the injury gods have come back with an absolute vengeance, and uh, stuff's got weird. We had a couple of uh, very significant quarterback injuries. Derek Carr uh, broke his leg. Uh, Mariota also broke his leg. Both of them are pretty much done. Uh, this talk that Carr might come back if Oakland make a Super Bowl, whether or not that's going to happen with Matt McGloin is, uh, you know, uh, that's very optimistic thinking, both from a medical perspective and from making the Super Bowl with Matt McGloin at quarterback perspective. Connor on this, I think Mariota is kind of, look, the, the season's done, it's, it's an awful injury and we hope he bounces back. But the Carr one is interesting. Like, we know this is going to result in obviously a, a drop-off in the play for Oakland. How do you see Oakland being able to... Uh, improvise around this and, and adapt to this because this is a very significant challenge. This is losing a guy who was, you know, an outlier perhaps, but definitely in the MVP chat. Is, is this something Oakland can compensate for and how do you see them approaching this? Well, Oakland are a team that are based around their pass game. Like, they're, they've, they've, got an, they've got an okay stable of running backs with no one who's outstanding on it. Their defense has some nice pieces, but top to bottom, it's not the most impressive defense in the world. This is a team that required excellence from Carr, and Carr was providing that. And obviously then, great performances from their wide receivers. But Carr was where it went through. You saw how they rallied around him when his finger got injured, and he came back into the game. You saw... 
just how much they love him. Like you saw, even when he got injured, all the players going around and surrounding him with towels so that there weren't pictures being taken of him and stuff like that. This guy is the heart and soul of that team. He's an exceptional player. I'm with you entirely on the MVP race, and I don't think that they can actually replace him. They're a good enough team that they'll be able to compete. They're a team that has now immediately lost any possibility in my head of going deep. They are still a talented roster. This just kind of solidifies, because I think a lot of us thought of them as being very good, but maybe next year or the year after, they're nearly there. This just ensures that that's the case. Uh, Carr was what was the X Factor that could have pushed them over the edge. He's gone now, so I think that they don't stand a chance of winning or getting to a Super Bowl. But like we can see there is talent on this team, but I can't see them getting beyond maybe one win. That's a huge, huge knock to their chances. Yeah, I, th- I think this is probably, a, unfortunately, a hammer blow to uh, Oakland's postseason, uh, postseason chance, and we obviously hope the best for Carr and his recovery. And it sounds weird to say this, but fortunately, it, it is just a broken leg and no ligament damage, so he should be he should be all right a, next season. I'm a cheese fan, and I'm wishing him a speedy recovery. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you have to you have to recognize recognize talent, of course. It would be be childish oh, yeah. not to. Game recognizes game, so exactly. Game recognizes. Game. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also had a, a broken leg, uh, a, actually much nastier broken leg than either of these two. Uh, for Tyler Lockett in Seattle. Just a really horrible injury. They've got to stop slow showing these close-up slow-motion replays of injuries. Awful. Obviously, very emotional. We saw particularly Doug Baldwin's reaction uh, afterwards to, to the injury, and then obviously the way he was able to play for the rest of the game. Uh, Ronan, he's your boy. Lockett, you know, he was really coming on this season, even though he wasn't perhaps central to the Seahawks' offense. Is this going to make a huge amount of a difference for Seattle? Yeah, well, I think you're right that he hasn't had a great season, but what we saw over the last few weeks that he had effectively usurped uh, Jermaine Curse as the number two wide receiver. He was, like, in their base uh, offense uh, a lot more than he was earlier on the season as he was dealing with an injury for all that. Obviously, he's, like, a really good returner. He was, like, in the Pro Bowler uh, and All-Pro for return uh, last year. He wasn't quite as good this year, but he was still doing some things, like, the talent is there, and obviously you can do that. I think they can survive this, but it definitely is a major downgrade that they're now going to have to pull out more Jermaine Curse, who they've been de-emphasizing because he's had a bad year, more Paul Richardson, a former second-round draft pick who's never really got going, and perhaps more of a like an undrafted player like Tanner McAvoy. Um, I think the biggest difference is that means you're going to have a more re-emphasis on Jimmy Graham and Doug Baldwin. Obviously, they're two of the best receivers in the league, uh, both like in terms of their talent, but also their efficiency. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the other guy, whoever that turns out to be, whether that's Curse or Richardson, can step up, I think it's a massive loss because Lockett was definitely coming along in the last few games. And just as he was coming along to see this injury happen, it's heartbreaking for a guy who genuinely seems like a really good player and a really nice guy. Um, so I, it definitely ha- it definitely looks like a bad thing right now. We'll see if the Seahawks can make up for it. It wasn't their primary weapon, but it was definitely a special weapon. So definitely hurts their chances, but maybe they can make up for it. We'll see in the playoffs. Yes, yeah, it's definitely a blow to lose uh, a guy who's, who's starting to look like he'll come good in his promise and always has that sort of game-breaking ability uh, that other players, while more reliable, might not always be able to pull out. Uh, what, one thing I do think is interesting, actually, uh, for Seattle here is what you say about Jimmy Graham. It's whether or not we're going to see now have to see more of Jimmy Graham on the field, which is perhaps not ideal from perspective of a team that struggled uh, to block pass rushers and pick up and pass protection this season. So that could have an interesting effect on how that overall balances um, the offensive formation Seattle run. Down in San Francisco, uh, Seattle's opponents for this week, Carlos Hyde, uh, took a big hit to the leg and suffered a torn MCL. He's obviously not going to come back this year for the one game. Uh, Not a huge amount, I think, of consequence to this. From the team perspective, the season was pretty much lost. 
it is bad that like he was the only good player on that team, so that might be a bit of an issue. But uh, hopefully he's able to, to bounce back from that because he is a very promising player who's just stuck in a really, really awful situation with that team and with that coach. Also, a couple of other big, big name injuries that, again, don't really matter because the teams are dead. Tyler Eifert and Tyrone Matthew have both been sent to IR. Unfortunate, again, for both those guys who've had pretty injury-hit seasons recently. So hopefully that this isn't a sign that they're just, you know, bodies are still continuing to continue to not be able to live up to their athleticism. Bryce Petty has been sent to IR with a torn labrum for the Jets. Like, nobody cares. Like, I mean, from the perspective of next week's game, it's just going to be atrocious anyway. So hopefully he'll recover. But uh, that's, you know, it's a blow for New York in terms of evaluating, perhaps, whether or not Petty could be a guy for the future. And it's obviously a blow to him personally. But uh, relatively little impact on what we're going to see for the rest of the season or for the one week where the Jets are still active this season. That is the news for this week. We're going to move on to our game reviews. So first up in the Ring of Honor, we have the game that decided the fate of the AFC North, Baltimore-Pittsburgh, 27-31, to a game that really uh, had it all in terms of drama, in terms of play, both offensively and defensively, was fantastic for stretches of this game. A really, really good matchup between two uh, tough, physical, and exciting teams who showed real, real strength on defense and real, real explosiveness on the offense. I think some of the highlights there, obviously, we're used to this by now, but once they got going, Roethlisberger, Bell, and Brown were nigh on unstoppable, particularly towards the end of the game. Uh, Roethlisberger did struggle for periods, had a couple of picks, but also managed to throw 279 yards and three touchdowns. Bell, after a very difficult game earlier in the season against Baltimore, went off 20 carries for 122 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he also added 15 yards receiving, but another touchdown as well, proving once again that he is one of the, if not perhaps the, probably between him and David Johnson, most dangerous all-round backs uh, in the league in terms of what he can offer. Obviously, Antonio Brown, 10 receptions, 96 yards, one touchdown. By his standards, a pretty mess stat line, but overall um, proved to be the difference maker in this one. Baltimore, there was, you know, there was positivity. The defense held up very, very well for stretch of the game. Flacco was fine without being um, fantastic. Saw a great display from young Kenneth Dixon as well. Uh, only had 12 carries, but managed 57 yards on them, which against the tough Pittsburgh defense is still pretty impressive. And um, we did see a bit more from guys like Dennis Pitta and Steve Smith, who haven't been the biggest contributors this season, really stepped up in this game. Pitta, eight receptions for 75 yards. Smith, seven for 79, a touchdown, including a, a long of 44. So... Overall, on the offense, we did see things come out. On the defense, well, we saw guys CJ Mosley, Ryan Shazier play fantastic games. A really good game where the level of play, I think, matched what was on the line, which was effectively control of the division and a playoff berth, as was Pittsburgh 1. Pittsburgh will now go to the playoffs and Baltimore uh, will go home. We'll start with Pittsburgh, with the team uh, that won this and with the team that's going to be moving on. Ronan, I think this game perhaps showed us something, particularly on the defensive side, a little more from Pittsburgh than we've seen this season. And we saw that when that offense gets clicking, that they really can't beat anybody on their day uh, when they feel like it, no matter how much things are stacked against them and no matter how much they may have struggled for parts of the game, they can still turn it on when it really, really matters. Is that going to be enough for them in the playoffs or did they show enough inconsistency that you still can't really buy into them as potential Super Bowl team or champions? Yeah, like I think of the genuine contenders in the AFC, which may only be New England and Kansas City at this point due to the injury to Derek Carr, they are probably the team which has the highest ceiling. Like when Pittsburgh are on form with the talent they have, especially in offense, but even on defense, they are able to absolutely destroy teams. And we saw in this game, like the first drive, they came out and they handed to Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell alone 
basically got them a touchdown. Then they had kind of a bit of a sw- like a bit of a swoon in the middle of the game where they like Ben Roethlisberger threw two picks. Baltimore got the game, and Baltimore seemed to be putting their foot on the game and on the throat of Pittsburgh uh, around the second and third quarter. But what you saw then towards the end of the game. Uh, when when it was really like you know we have to get scores here, Pittsburgh's offense like didn't just march down the, the field; they absolutely raced down the field. Like they got two quick strike touchdowns to get the lead late in the game. Like they absolutely destroyed what is a good one of the best defenses in the AFC with the Baltimore Ravens, and they made them look terrible. They got Antonio Brown involved. Antonio Brown absolutely hammered them. They got Le'Veon Bell involved again. He absolutely hammered them after having perhaps a less impressive middle part of the game. So when Pittsburgh were on form, they absolutely showed that they could be the most devastating offense in the league. And then when they needed to do it again on the last drive, they once again came true. And Antonio Brown managed to score a touchdown. You know, in clutch moment, they went to their clutch clutch player, and Antonio Brown. He stuck out his hand, but watches a very impressive play as a wide receiver and won the game for them. Like I think the defense, there's definitely a lot of playmakers there. I think the one thing that they're lacking right now is depth in the front seven. They've had a lot of injuries, but with players like Shazier, James Harrison, who continues to frighten children, you know, <laughs> at his ancient age, like like I don't know, like uh, Krampus, like some kind of you know ancient <laughs> Krampus demigod to bring cold to all the children in Baltimore. There, there's definitely pieces there, but the one where you do have a defense is that they don't really have anyone to rotate in because of the injuries that they have. They're like frontline defense can stay healthy. The defense can do give them enough and keep them in games. And as long as they're in games, that offense can win games. I think they definitely are one of the most inconsistent teams. So it'll be interesting to see whether teams play New England, whether they will be able to match up and have the day of their life on that day. Because I think New England is the only team that you would consistently go, uh, this is a team that will win the game. Really exciting to see. And on their day, they could beat anyone in the NFL. Yeah, the critical thing will be exactly how long they can maintain that uh, form for. If they, if they get into a good run of form, how long they can make that streak last. So that will be interesting to watch. In terms of Baltimore, um, now we said this during the season, you know, the Baltimore are a good team, they are a tough team, they play everyone hard and they play everyone close. But right now, it isn't enough. They've got promising young pieces, guys like Mosley and Orr, guys like Rashad Perriman coming on a bit this season. We've seen the emergence of, as I mentioned earlier, um, Kenneth Dixon. But... Connor, what is it now, looking with this season gone, looking forward to next season, what is it that Baltimore need to do to elevate themselves from being like a tough, difficult team that gives everyone headaches to a team that's actually capable of consistently winning enough games? This is going to be potentially controversial stats, but I think they need to blow it up. I think they need to mm. stop being happy. Well, I suppose they're not happy with being a kind of like attorney, maybe a nine-win team, possibly a ten-win team, but like... There's no substantial difference between this team and the team that was there maybe two years ago or so. Like, they're still looking at Joe Flacco, is he elite, is he not elite? Like, they're talking about trying to get Steve Smith Sr. back for another for another season. They're not looking to move. They think that they've got the recipe made. They just didn't execute well enough. I think it's that the recipe would work if everyone on their roster was two years younger. I think they need to move on a bit and start to bring in more new pieces. You've talked about some of the youth they've got coming in. Like I said, Dixon's looking better here in the back half, and they've got a couple of nice young defensive pieces. But at the heart of it, what's changed in terms of like what they, how they play philosophically? Okay, they went away from the run a bit this year, but they've went back to it at the back end because it didn't work when they went away from it because they still have the personnel that run a run, run, run heavy attack, but they don't have the ability to do that. Flacco doesn't provide the same over-the-top help that he did beforehand. They're trying to emulate what got them success in the past with some of the pieces that they had in the past. 
they need to realize that the team is not that anymore and change their approach to offense to do that. Their defense came along nicely at the back end. I'd be happy with how their defense is going, but I think they need to look at adding some fresh blood to that receiving core, maybe changing up the way that they that they run their backfield, maybe adding a couple more trick plays in there or something. But they can't just be relying on Flacco to stand back, wait for a while, and then hoof it deep because he's got a whip. Coaches expect that of you, and when you don't evolve your game plan over two or three years, they know exactly what's coming, and they can game plan against it. They got hot towards the back end of the season. That was more an aberration than an indication of where they are as a team. I think they need to go back to the drawing board a lot more than I think they will this offseason, and that's a problem. Interesting uh, approach there. I don't think a lot of people would have expected, but I can definitely see what you're saying. Um, they are fortunate they have a pretty good head coach and general manager who've been able to make good personnel decisions in the past. But yeah, perhaps it's time for Baltimore to stop being so conservative and maybe break out of their break out of their shell a bit, break the mold, and give teams something something different to prepare for. Obviously, as well, having Jimmy Smith healthy for the entire season would probably help. But yeah, yeah. there is a lot of age on that team, and there is perhaps they have been figured out a little bit uh, by 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 the better teams in the league. So moving on to the neutral zone, we had a, an AFC East clash: Miami at Buffalo. Uh, it turned out to be obviously a pivotal game. For the for the Dolphins, uh, they won thirty four to thirty one in overtime. In what was a gosh, this was a weird game. Buffalo defense was a problem here. They sort of uh, sort of seemed to, to give up on it for a lot of it. There was some very bad tackling, and we saw a team that was you know wasn't perhaps playing on 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 that side of the ball as hard as they could. The offense like did I think their best. You know, I mean Tyron Taylor had a good game, three hundred and twenty nine yards, three touchdowns. Shady McCoy went. Insane, 128 yards of touchdown. Gillisley's contributions were explosive and fantastic. 91 yards on 11 carries. And Sammy Watkins, seven receptions, 154 yards and a touchdown. Like whatever else we said about Rex Ryan and about the coaching, if Sammy Watkins had been fit this whole season, this might have been a very, very different situation for Buffalo and they might still have their head coach. As it was, it was also Charles Clay decided to turn up. 85 yards, two touchdowns. But as it was, wasn't really enough at the end of the day. Jay Ajayi went mental. 32 carries for 206 yards. Ran all over Buffalo for the second time this season. He's amassed 420 yards in two games against them. Uh, They busted off a few other big plays. We saw um, Kenny and Drake get a long run. In terms of receiving, they benefited a lot from bad tackling, allowing short passes to go for longer than they should have. Matt Moore was fine insofar as like did just about enough completed just over 50 percent of his passes 233 yards two touchdowns and a pick not fantastic but enough as it turned out in the end of, at the end of the day this was a weird game obviously we, we flagged earlier buffalo made a complete hames of it in overtime 10 men on the field during the jhi run to set up the field for the fit critical field goal that won it the attempt to call a timeout which i mean the less said about that the better i don't know I didn't know why he was trying to ice the kicker, considering they were basically rushing onto the field, desperately trying to kick it before time expired at the end of the game, but who knows how Rex's mind works. In terms, then, of Miami, the team moving forward, we saw, I think, both the strengths and limitations of this team. This team's defense has occasionally turned up, but is definitely not reliable, particularly on the backfield. Uh, Tyra Taylor is a decent quarterback. He's solid, but he has thrown all over very few teams this season. Miami was definitely one of them. Uh, Offensively, we see when they can get the run game going, Miami can be close to unstoppable in that phase. But Matt Moore has not proved to be an upgrade on Tannehill. I mean, it's good that he's a solid backup, but this is a guy leading the team into the playoffs. You've really got to have questions here. Uh, Connor, very simple question on this. Miami, one and done? Depends on who they come up against. Let's be honest. Pittsburgh most likely. Uh, yeah. See, I don't. I don't think they've got the strength to take on a Pittsburgh. I think. I, I think. Well, to be honest, I think a fucking paper bag could take on the Texans. So, but, <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I don't because I there, there was parts of this I was very impressed by and parts of this that I thought were shite. Like their O line looked really good, but I suppose they spent fifty five sixty percent of their time run blocking rather than pass blocking. So like maybe that's an aberration because JHI had such a good game. If they've got JHI performing to this extent, like Matt Moore is not exciting. He's he can get some stuff done. His stat line looks good, and I know his stat line is, looks better than his performance was because he was offset by the exceptional running game. But like their defense can perform. Their defense didn't perform as well as I'd like them to perform in this game, but we've seen them perform well. When we talk about boom bust kind of potential, this is a team that could land out to a, to a playoff game, and if everyone plays up to their potential level, they could definitely take on most of the teams that are that are in the playoffs. They couldn't probably beat a New England or anything, but like. I, I could see them on a good day taking on a Pittsburgh team and beating them if the Pittsburgh team don't have a great day. Like, we've seen Pittsburgh put up some stinkers. Pittsburgh are as inconsistent as Kansas City are. Miami Dolphins walked in and they played a good game. They could. I don't see it happening. But I see the potential there if they all played up to their to their level. Like, you look at that run game, you kind of go, well, if they can put that, that's going to put the, that's going to put the Steelers in their back foot. And then if they're on the back foot, then it'll open up some stuff underneath. And the defense of Miami has talent. It hasn't performed to the level of shoot, but it has some very big names who are paid commensurate with what their what their maybe upper limit is rather than where they actually are. But if they hit that upper limit and they have in certain games, they could definitely take people on. But I don't I don't think they have it in them to be able to put that performance together. I don't think they can all play up at the same time. So probably one and done, but I wouldn't I wouldn't discount them to the extent that I think a lot of people are. Yeah, um, I guess we have made the mistake of riding off Miami a couple of times already this season when we haven't. It is definitely going to be some tough sledding for them. But uh, yeah, if they can play the way they want to, they could They could perhaps spring a surprise uh, Spring a surprise on us. Ron, in terms of Buffalo, we've already chatted about them a little bit. But here's the thing. Buffalo is a team with a lot of really, really talented players. I mean, you've got like guys like McCoy, Watkins, Mike Gillisley. They have defensive pieces, guys like, uh, like, like Gilmore, Marcel, Darius, Ronald Darby and so on. Is it like consistently Buffalo have talented players? And this isn't just a Rex Ryan phenomenon, I don't think, at this point. And they're not able to get the best out of them. At what point is this going to change? Or is this a team that's just sort of stuck in the mentality of being a perennial runner up? And what is it that's going to actually be able to kickstart this franchise to play at the level that the talent that it has is definitely there? Yeah, like I think this is one of those teams that I think you're right has that kind of stank. Like you can go all the way back to the early 90s, of course. <laughs> Where they lost those uh, three Super Bowls in a row, Four. there's kind of a, a history there of good but not good enough, as you said yourself in the prelude uh, to this review. And then, obviously, they're one of the teams who haven't been in the playoffs. I think they played a team with the longest stretch of it on a playoff place at this point. There's definitely a feeling around this team that there's a mental barrier that they need to break to. And of course, the best way to break through that barrier is to have the right leadership in place. Like, I don't think that leadership comes on the field right now. They have lots of talented pieces, but is there a single player in that team that you go, they're the guy who's going to get the locker room going. They're the guy that's going to, like, whip people up and get them behind them. Like, Tyrod Taylor is a good quarterback who probably won't be there next year due to what we saw with the Rex Ryan situation. But he, he wasn't really a leader. He was just a good player. And you saw that in the final drive in overtime, they gave it to him the pass and he failed. Like Consistently, again and again this year, the thing has been they put up really good numbers. They've looked really good at certain points. But when it came down to it, when, it was, when the game was on the line, Tyrod Taylor was shown up to be what he is, which is maybe a league average 
elite average quarterback who happens to be have like a special run game ability. Lashawn McCoy, like I don't want him leading my locker room to be honest. Uh, it'll probably break out into an orgy or something. I don't know. Uh, and Sammy Watkins is on the you know operating room operating table too often to be a dad. Like you look on the defense, Darius, um, Jerry Hughes, Darby. These are players like either these are players who have like reputations as good players but not great players, or players who have reputation of additionally being a being involved in bad things more often than not. There's this, you know, above average amount of people on the Bills team who have been involved in unpleasantness that you perhaps wouldn't want to see in a team as a whole and might have problems in the culture. Uh, we, we don't even need to go into Richie Young Incognito as a starting guard, even though he's been very good. So it's a very good team, but the culture there is wrong. And I think Rex Ryan is to blame for a lot of that. So I think if the right coach could come in, someone with a bit more of a authoritarian streak perhaps, and that would be a natural reaction to a Rex Ryan uh, premiership. Um, I think this is a team that has the pieces that they go there. The problem is a lot of those pieces are already quite expensive. There isn't a lot of wiggle room there in terms of bringing in lots of players and free agency or whatever. So they just need to have a good coach, a couple of good drafts, hopefully by everything in the current GM, who don't forget picked AJ Manuel. Why is he still there? I have no <laughs> idea. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of potential here, but it's going to require a good coach. You can't just get someone like mediocre in here. You can establish a stamp and push this team forward. Yeah, well, they, they need authoritarian leadership. We know that Donald Trump tried to buy an NFL franchise in the past, so uh, <laughs> maybe maybe after he's done with the presidency, there is there is definitely definitely a mental block. And I think actually, yeah, I think Doug Whaley, the GM, you've rightly identified, is a is a part of this and. Uh, that's something that will, you know, hopefully from Buffalo's perspective, change in the offseason because he's really, I think, responsible for a lot of the poor personnel decisions we've seen recently there. So, moving into the dumpster fire, although after we've just been discussing Buffalo, you wouldn't know that we've been in the neutral zone, to be honest with you. San Diego at Cleveland. Now, this was a very heartwarming dumpster fire game. Cleveland finally won a game, 17-20. to That doesn't mean it wasn't an incredibly sad game full of sad things and was bad. Look, it's redundant to say that Cleveland were fortunate to win a game. Cleveland were quite fortunate to win this game. San Diego did absolutely everything in their power to lose this. Cleveland struggled pretty much in every aspect of the game. Isaiah Crowell did get two touchdowns, but other than that was eminently mediocre. Robert Griffin did nothing and got hurt. He has no touchdowns on the season. Looks like he won't play next week and will continue to have no touchdowns on the season. Uh, Cody Kessler came in at the end of the game and did absolutely nothing. The team, I think the team, yeah, the team completed less than 20 passes overall and still didn't even run the ball really that much either, maybe less than, less than uh, 30 times overall, which is concerning. The offense was essentially non-existent and I think we're sort of perhaps seeing uh, that Robert Griffin is, is, is unfortunately uh, has been undone by, by the injuries and damage that's been done to him over the years. In terms of the Chargers, it was, they couldn't establish a run game, which against Cleveland is quite concerning. Rivers was... Fine overall if you look at his stats, but if you look at his play during the game, it was quite poor. He only completed 50% of his passes. Uh, he threw an interception, a really, really inopportune moment. Antonio Gates had a good game. Other than that, everyone else is a bit rubbish beyond a few deep strikes uh, to Travis Benjamin and so on. Kept quiet by what has been a relatively weak Cleveland secondary. And the defense like played well, but when the offense just was failing to move the ball when it mattered, it didn't really make that much of a difference. So we'll start again with, I think, with the, with the, with the winning team here, uh, Cleveland. Connor, they finally won. Parades cancelled. Yep. They nearly threw away the number one pick and then got it back because the Rams are terrible at football. It's, Cleveland uh, are in, again, it's been another rebuild year that has not shown us any actual kind of functional rebuilding. This is a team that has, as much as we talk about the stink around Buffalo, has been surrounded by the stench of failure for a very, very long time. Let's put on your hat. You're, you're Hugh Jackson. You're Sashi Brown. This team is probably going to have the number one overall pick. 
where do you even approach fixing the problems? Because other than left tackle and maybe a couple of pieces at linebacker, this team is a is bereft of talent. I trade down. I immediately trade down. Don't see any quarterback. Well, obviously, we talked about this more in the offseason. Quarterbacks big need. I don't see any quarterbacks in the draft that are jumping off the page at me just yet. That might change as we get closer to the draft time. But like what they've been doing, which is smart, is they've been accruing a ton of picks. And while Cleveland doesn't necessarily draft all that well at the time, they might need more work in their player personnel department. The more picks they have, the more chance they have to get at least one or two of them right. I'd be trading everything down as far as I could. There's some high-end running back, some high-end defensive pieces, but there's a lot of them. So I think, especially if you don't have trust in your player personnel department, as Cleveland should not, then <laughs> I would be trading down and just trying to accrue as many second, third-round picks and just try and restock my roster from there. I've got, a, yeah, like, I've got a follow-up to that, Connor. actually, uh, in terms of building from the draft stuff. There's two sort of big decisions here in terms of personnel, really, uh, other than quarterback, which you've already flagged, which are Joe Hayden... Uh, who has cost the team a lot of money, and his performance is still fine, but has declined significantly, and the potential to re-sign Jamie Collins. What do you think Cleveland are going to do with those two guys? I think they re-sign Jamie Collins, provided he's on board with whatever the development plan that the front office have. Because uh, I know there's lots of talk about him being mouthy and like kind of going out and doing his own thing in New England, and we don't know how true or not true those things are. If he's on board with what they're planning to do, if he's okay to like work with that coaching staff and be their guy... I'd lock him down because he's a far better player than they have in a lot of the other places. Uh, Joe Aiden, I I've said beforehand, I would be I would be trading him as long as I can get some value for him. There's no point in having a high end cornerback on a team that's never going to be competing for jack shit at least for the next two or three years. At the point of which he will either be significantly less talented or significantly less valuable as a trade commodity. I'd be getting rid of most of those things, and they've been quite good so far this year at clearing out a load of anything of value. Uh, that they have. <laughs> it's full rebuild, and I think you dedicate to that. I'd try and maintain the line because if you get a quarterback, you don't want your person to die. But <laughs> look at look at the look at this game. They gave up nine sacks. You could you could pick the greatest quarterback. You could have Aaron Rodgers there. If he takes nine sacks. He's not playing sixteen games, and he's not taking you to a Super Bowl. You could put a mediocre quarterback behind an excellent line, and they could do very good things. You could take a far less talented quarterback than uh, than Dak Prescott and put them in behind that Dallas line, and you'd be able to get some performance out of them, unless they happen to be, like, 36 years old or Matt Castle. <laughs> like, I'd pro- actually, that, that's it. Like, I'd be trading down, I'd be gathering pieces, but I'd probably look at just trying to solidify a line to protect whatever value pieces we bring in. A reasonable approach. I think it's probably what we're going to see, given what we know about, about Sashi Brown. The line's an interesting point. Maybe letting Alex Mack go a couple of seasons ago was possibly a mistake on behalf of the, of the management if they thought they could... Uh, replacements. Cameron Irving hasn't been up to snuff. I agree entirely about Hayden and Collins. Particularly Collins, I think, is actually we'll talk about this later in the year. But I think Collins massive snub not making the Pro Bowl as a result of obviously controversy and then playing in Cleveland. Um, so yeah, I think very going to be very very interesting to see what happens to Cleveland in the off season. A real one to watch in terms of the psychology and approach they take towards what is going to be another necessary rebuild. And we seem to be saying that every single year. Uh, Ronan, then, in terms of San Diego, we've seen a team that's been much improved on the defense this season, but on the offense is just completely dysfunctional, lacks killer instinct, lacks reliable playmakers, although it certainly has um, guys who are explosive and very promising in the likes of Dontrell Inman, Tyrell Williams, and so on. Is it just a question of talent on the offense, or is there something missing uh, here that just that Wyatt isn't performing at the same level their defense has this season? Well, they're missing Keenan Allen. They're missing Melvin Gordon in this game. 
they're missing a couple of other wide receivers. Like, don't forget Tyrell Williams is supposed to be, like, their number three or number four wide receiver. Uh, Travis Benjamin is, like, their number three based on where they were in the offseason. This is a team which has been devastated by injuries uh, the entirety, both on offense and defense throughout this season. This has been one of the most unlucky teams. And I think... At the end of the day, this like last stretch of the season where they've really gone off the rails, it's just kind of it's hard not to feel that it's just due to the how dispiriting the season has been, how much this team could have been compared to where it is if it hadn't been so unlucky. To my mind, it, it, it's even affected Philip Rivers in the end. Philip Rivers, for through the first half of the season, looked like looked like his old self, looked like you know maybe not like maybe Pro Bowl caliber. But in the last like three or four weeks, he's thrown a lot of picks. He's try he's had to force it so much, and it looks like it's got to him. It looks like, especially with the whole situation around them, uh, possibly moving to LA or all that uncertainty. It's just a team that's so much in flux right now, and has had so much bad luck. Can't it's understandable why this team, uh, but on offense, and to be honest, the defense, with the exception of a few bright sparks. Uh, like like Joey Bosa and Casey Hayward and and Perryman, like the, like the defense has enough talent that they could make up for some of that, but the offense perhaps doesn't have that same surplus of talent to get away with that. And it's just like it's just a team that like doesn't know where it is right now, both in both in emotional sense and in a physical sense, since it doesn't know where it's going to be. And it, it's hard not to see at the end of this year that Mike McCoy, probably one of the most unlucky coaches, because the last two years San Diego have been absolutely devastated by you know critical injuries at critical times. But it's also hard not to come back and see that Mike McCoy is a coach. When things are going bad, it gets to him. It's, there was so many times during that bad stretch of luck in the early season where he was basically begging the gods for good results and didn't look like he was up to the task of leading a team when it needed leadership the most, that he was out, like basically abdicating that responsibility to Philip Rivers. And Philip Rivers is a great quarterback, probably a Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, but there's only so much that man can do, and with the injuries that came around them, with all the bad luck that they had, both in terms of injuries and results and all the other stuff, it's hard not to understand why this team just has, seems to be ending, ending the season with a whimper. Yeah, that's that, that's uh, that's fair. It's been a depressing season for San Diego, but uh, you never know when there'll be light at the end of the tunnel. So that's the games from last week, and now we're going to move on to our picks for next week. Okay, guys, so let's have a look at the picks for next week. Most of these games probably aren't hugely important, but some of them are very, very important. So we'll go through them. We'll start off with New England at Miami. I'll throw this one over to Ronan. We've all taken New England. Why is that? We saw in the like the review for Miami that Miami are a good team, but they are like rolling out Matt Moore. And the team is solid, but not phenomenal. I think New England uh, will want to, want to lock up the number one seed before the nine o'clock set of games, even if Oakland is a disadvantage. I think New England, when they want to win, usually do win, especially in the SEC. So I think you have to take New England here. Yeah, I think after last year in particular, they won't, won't, won't be monkeying around with potentially losing home field. Jacksonville and Indianapolis, we've gone shockingly for Indianapolis across the board. Uh, Connor? Jacksonville are a terrible team, and swapping their coaching towards the back of the season is going to fix that. Indianapolis are crap, but Andrew Luck, done. Yep, that's probably pretty fair. Carolina at Tampa Bay, we've all gone for Tampa Bay. Basically, Tampa Bay have something to play for. They've shown themselves to be an explosive team, tough on defense, if a little fragile and inconsistent at times. You'd think they'd have enough on the line that even though it's a long shot, 
they'll probably be playing very, very hard to try and give themselves any kind of opportunity to make the playoffs. I think that will give them the edge over Carolina, particularly in Tampa Bay. Chicago at Minnesota, we've got some disagreement on this one. We'll try and keep this quick, despite our disagreement, because seriously, this game, Jesus. Uh, Connor and Roan. Yeah, Connor and Roan have both gone for Minnesota. I'm insane, so I've gone for Chicago for like the third week in a row, which is not working out for me. Um, Ronan, why Minnesota? Yeah, like I think Minnesota's defense, even though it's gone down a bit, with Matt Barkley on the other end, should get enough turnovers that the offense should put up enough points that they can win. Like Chicago have had some fighting spirit recently, but I think Minnesota, if they're going to finish the season at home, they should have enough to take over a Chicago team that has so many holes. It's not even funny. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. Uh, for me, the reason I've taken Chicago is simply because I see, look at Minnesota, and I see a team that has just completely gone into crisis. I honestly can't see them trying very hard in this game at all. I think the uh, coach has lost the locker room a little bit after the events of last week. Whereas, again, Chicago, you've got enough guys who know their jobs are on the line. They'll be motivated to at least try and make a game of this. Although, if Matt Barkley's job is potentially on the line, he probably doesn't want to throw five picks again. Um, <laughs> Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Can Cleveland win the second game? We don't think so. We've all taken Pittsburgh. Connor? Yeah, Pittsburgh good, Cleveland bad. Even if Pittsburgh sit people, Pittsburgh's second string is better than Cleveland's first string. Also, if Cleveland start to win, their management should tell them to stop so they get the number one overall pick. So <laughs> that is probably that is probably fair. And we've got New Orleans and Atlanta. Uh, myself and Connor have both gone for Atlanta. Ronan, perhaps more out of hope than anything else because of Seattle's <laughs> playoff seeding situation, has gone for New Orleans. Uh, Ronan, is it just hope or do you legitimately think New Orleans have a shot at this? New Orleans, for some reason, like I've just kept going. I think I think Drew Brees, now that he's out of the playoffs, is just like I need more yards. I think he's like 150 off 5,000. He'll almost certainly make that. But you know, these are two super explosive offenses, kind of which are kind of similar. Like two really good, well, two very good running backs, like three wide receivers, and both teams that you could count on. So I expect lots of fireworks here. Both two two defenses obviously aren't great. Expect fireworks. Expect a shootout. I think Atlanta are at home, so I can see why you guys are taking them. But I suppose out of hope more than anything, New Orleans have shown that they've got back on. They show that they still want to win against a division rival. I'm sure they would be more than happy to ruin their day like Arizona ruined Seattle's last week. Yeah, I think that's probably a reasonable assessment in terms of what's motivating New Orleans. I just think Atlanta are top to bottom right now, a better team. Uh, New Orleans have been a lot more shaky on the road than they have been at home, even though this is another dome game. And... I think Atlanta, as much as New Orleans, will want to ruin them. For Atlanta, I think getting that number two seed, getting that bye with it in their hands is going to be very, very important. This is much less of a choke job of a team than we've seen over the last few years with Mike Smith gone and under under a, a new regime and with uh, different talent available to them. So I, I think they've just got the edge in this one. And New Orleans' defense continues to just be bafflingly bad. And you'd think that even in a shootout, a team like Atlanta are one of the few teams who have the chance of actually genuinely beating New Orleans in a straight-up uh, race to as many points as humanly possible. Buffalo, <laughs> God. Now, again, we've ranked the games this week from one to three. I've got them in the right order this time. Ronan's written me a handy little guide uh, from one to three, with one being good, two being there, and three being not important at all. This game's ranking is infinity. That's how unimportant and bad it's going to be. Buffalo at the New York Jets. We've all gone for Buffalo, kind of. Um, Connor, why... <laughs> Just why? Because we had, to, we had to pick a game, uh, so we went Buffalo. Next game. Yep, that is all <laughs> the treatment that deserves. EJ Manuel versus Christian Hackenberg. That could happen. <laughs> oh, I cannot. Oh, my God. Dallas at Philadelphia is the next game. We've gone Dallas across the board on this one, Ronan. Yeah, like Dallas against Detroit didn't need the win. They already had number one pick, yet still went on to basically teabag them. For some reason, this team basically really wants to show that it's up for the playoffs. 
Uh, so they, like, even though they probably should be playing conservatively, they aren't going to, and they're going to crush Philadelphia for no other reason than that it feels good to be Dallas right now. <laughs> that, that, yeah, probably sounds like things Jerry Jones would be into. Houston at Tennessee. We've gone for Houston across the board in what we thought was going to be an important game, but actually turns out not to be. Connor, yeah, just Brock Lobster is terrible, but a quarterback with two legs is better than a quarterback with one leg. Oh, Tom, Savage Tom, is Savage Tom Savage. Savage. Oh, to, oh, oh, even better than Tom Savage. Oh, my. Then they're definitely... Um, don't forget he's playing Matt Castle. Yeah, sorry, one second. I'll start that again. So. <laughs> no, no, that was perfect. I've that was perfect. I've never been more excited than the chance to watch Tom Savage take on Matt Castle. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, Tom Savage over Matt Castle? Seems legit. The worst part is that is only the second saddest because of the Buffalo New York Jets quarterback situation. Yeah. Um, New York Giants and Washington, we have a bit of a disagreement on this one. Uh, Connor and Ronan have both gone for Washington. I have taken the New York Giants. Uh, Connor, why Washington? Because uh, I reckon the Giants are going to sit most of their players. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't really think about that. Uh, probably should have. <laughs> like, like, that's the entirety of my reasoning here. I just think Giants are going to sit most of their players. Mazungu still want to look slightly good. So, But it would be really Washington to lose the game anyway. Yeah, that's, oh, pretty, yeah, that's yeah, pretty, pretty much... much. We would have beaten them if Odell Beckham was out there, but uh, we just can't beat these third stringers. You know, we just got no tape on them. Like Victor that. Cruz bringing it back, like two, yeah. three. Yeah. You know? Victor Cruz gets to play number one receiver this time. He catches like 15 balls. He's like, this is why you pay me. And goes back to never ever catching passes again. Uh, the worst part is that was legitimately my reason for picking the Giants, and that this is just like even if especially if they don't start the starters, this is a game Washington are just going to lose because that's the kind of team they are at the moment. Baltimore at Cincinnati. We have all gone for Baltimore. Run. Yeah, like Cincinnati aren't very good right now. I think they'll sit AJ Green unless AJ Green literally like blackmails the ownership into doing so. So, like, Cincinnati showed some backbone over the stretch, even though they'd lost most of their talent and were out of it pretty early. But I think Baltimore will be pretty angry over last week and show that they are a good team that could could go up against any team at AFC and have a chance. So I think in this game, you have to give it to Baltimore. Yeah, that seems fair. Uh, Kansas City at San Diego. San Diego coming off a loss to the Browns playing Kansas City. Connor, we've all gone for Kansas City. Uh, why are your boys going to take this? San Diego lost to the Browns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, like San Diego legitimately do not have an entire starting team at the moment, I don't think, at this point. I think they've just, they're now just like taking the spare ACLs of third string players and putting them together into some kind of strange Frankenstein monster to try and play like defensive tackle for them or something. I, I don't know. They've, I got, they've got no one left. I think San Diego have a, have a real psychological edge in this game because, uh, you know, they'll be like, oh, everyone's resting their starters. We've been preparing for this moment all season. Haven't had any starters. <laughs> also, Connor, one more question on this. Over under on how many yards Don Terry Poe is going to throw for in this game? You see, right, here's my theory on the Don Terry Poe thing. I was going to say this on the Oakland game. Uh, I think, so obviously Kansas City beat, uh, beat Tampa earlier. Stop. They wanted to... They wanted to piss off Denver so that they would be fired up for the game against Oakland. So that's why they let Poe throw a touchdown. That makes sense to me. The, the old bloated Tebow play. Got to love that. Got to love that naming system. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I put it over under at three because I think that's the furthest out they'll let him throw. But I think we're more likely to see a rushing touchdown. Yeah, that's fair. Well, he still needs to get a receiving one technically, so it'll be interesting to watch out for that one. See if he yeah, can get all we'll three see, on the we'll season. See. They tried that already, and it ended up being a rushing one. Yeah, well, we can give it another go. Uh, lightning can strike twice. Hey, hey, look for Alex Smith. Six inches backwards is a deep pass. Let's be honest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kansas City are now a deep strike offense. It's weird. Oakland at Denver. So we've got uh, Ronan and Connor have taken Denver. I believe in Matt McGloin. So I've gone for Oakland. Um, Ronan, why Denver? Yeah, like I think Denver, despite all of their issues, are 
still a good and like solid enough team. Um, I think they've got a coach who, who still can motivate them and keep the, keep the team in check, even if they had some locker room issues uh, last week. Like I think after the beating the case they give them, I think that will motivate them to show that they're still an elite team, that they can show that they really should be in the playoffs. And one of the best ways to do that is to get one over a rival while also simultaneously pushing them potentially out of the number two seed and costing them stuff. I think Denver, they do strike me as a team full of vindictive individuals who won't <laughs> have to do that. And I think Matt McGloin... You know, for all his, uh, you know, his talents probably won't be able to do it. Unless Oakland can get the run game really going, I think Denver will take this. Yeah, well, for me, I think the run game is critical because um, this is why I've taken Oakland. I, I think Matt McGloin is obviously a significant downgrade on car. Do I think Matt McGloin is significantly worse than Paxton Lynch, who is apparently going to start this game? No, I absolutely do not think he's significantly worse than Paxton Lynch. We saw uh, Denver uh, have been weak against the run recently. Oakland got their run game going in a big, big way against them the last time these two teams played, whereas Denver's run game has regressed up being absolutely almost nothing at this point. So on that basis, I actually think Oakland are, despite the obviously huge change, uh, given how they've been playing and how they played before, given how Denver have been playing recently, I think actually on that pure matchup basis, Oakland's run game is going to be way stronger than Denver's run game, and that's going to be enough uh, to grind out a win here, because as much as Denver are going to be motivated to screw over Oakland, Oakland really, really, really need to wrap up that bye um, with Carr out and with uh, a need to even get an extra week to try and bed McGloin in and get him more comfortable. That's going to be absolutely critical for them to pick that up. So um, we'll see how that pans out. Could actually be a, a very tense game, despite the fact that there's not much directly on the line between these two teams. There's a lot of sort of important storylines and other factors going on with seeding. So, side note for Denver, I also think that this is a big game for them in terms of how they can attract a potential free agent quarterback like Tony Romo. They need to show strength, show that they've got a better team than they showed last week. They show that against an up start divisional rival who are going to be the people who will be pushing them uh, if the free agent comes to them next year I think this is an important game for who they can attract yeah uh, you all know Jay, Jay Cutler is going to make his triumphant return anyway next season so <laughs> <laughs> back to my life oh, yeah. the darkest time the darkest, oh, I, would, I, would, I would only fucking love that uh, Jay Cutler at Denver my god Seattle at San Francisco we've gone for Seattle across the board on this one Connor yeah, Seattle good, San Francisco bad, and now don't have their only good offensive player. I don't see how this goes any other way. Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be a massacre. Should be good. Still, this is going to be fan. backups in from like fucking twenty minutes into the game. And like it's, it's still going to be a massacre. Trevon Boykin's going to run all over them. It's going to be hilarious. Seattle though, Seattle I suppose will probably be you know uh, given given that the seeding is still on the line, will probably want to leave an exclamation point on the season anyway and give themselves as good a chance as they can in that regard. But we will see. Arizona at LA. We've all gone for Arizona. Uh, look, LA are just a sad team. They are a bad team. They have been swept by the 49ers. They are in total disarray. The head coaching change has somehow managed to make them worse. Totally disorganized. If you can't get the run game going against San Fran, you're sure as hell not going to get it going against Arizona. Even without Tyron Matthew, Arizona still has more than enough talent to beat up this beat up on this team very, very easily. And then our final game, our most important game, Green Bay at Detroit. Now, myself and Connor have gone for Green Bay, and Ronan has gone for Detroit. So, Ronan, do you want to give us a rundown on why you think Detroit are going to take this one? Yeah, like, I think like part of it, I will, I will, I'll admit, is that I want Detroit to win. Uh, partly for several reasons. I thought reasons, was going to be the end, to be honest. Uh, like, like, se- like, several reasons, but like, to a certain extent, because I don't want Green Bay in the playoffs, because they, they're probably more dangerous than Detroit against a team like the Seahawks. But also because, you know, Detroit have had a good season. They've pulled off so many amazing things this season, so many fourth-quarter comebacks. They've been so good. And always the team which historically has had some of the worst luck 
in the NFL. They lost Calvin Johnson in the offseason, yet they've put together one of their best seasons in a few in a few years. So, like personally for me, I would like Detroit to win. In terms of why they will win, I think they're at home. And I think also that despite all of the issues that they've had, that defense has been very underrated throughout the entire season. I think if that defense can bottle up Green Bay, and Green Bay have run over some teams, like and they have they have shown in the middle of the season that they aren't unstoppable, that if the Detroit defense can front up, then they definitely can have some impact there. But I think the offense, I think like the Green Bay defense, he has shown some good things, but hasn't been amazing. You know, Green Bay are the hot team. Green Bay are the team that's sexy right now, and they have Aaron Rodgers. But Detroit, because I want them to win, but also I think because, you know, you can't ignore the fact that Detroit have shown so much backbone and so much ability to win, even when they did what they shouldn't have, that you can't count them out of this game. And thus, I'm going to go for Detroit. Yeah, like, I don't count them out entirely. I think that they're a good team, but we discussed Green Bay earlier. We said... We look at that team and think if they're on form, who's going to stop them? As long as they're hitting high, like Aaron Rodgers is playing some of the best football of his of his career at the moment in the last two or three weeks. Uh, Detroit have cooled a bit in my head, even though they've been performing well and they've gotten themselves to this position. They've not been as good as I think we considered them maybe four or five weeks ago. Uh, Green Bay are in resurgence. If Detroit can win this, I'll have a much higher opinion of them and I will have a much higher opinion of them going into the playoffs. But this just seems to me to be the one where Green Bay are going to win. Although, as I, as I mentioned to you guys earlier, in this game, if the two of them just decide to piss around and end up with a nil-nil draw after everything, uh, it means nothing that happens with the Mazungas will matter, that both Green Bay and Detroit will go through. So maybe we see a game where no one does anything at all. There's zero yards of offense, zero yards of defense, just penalties and punts. That would be absolutely hilarious if both teams just refused to play. <laughs> yeah, they just they, they just game the game. Like it would be hilarious. Like both of us get through. It'd be like everyone staring each other down until like two seconds left, and then it's like I'm gonna try for the field goal. That would be fantastic. <laughs> okay, so we, we we we've broken football, guys. That is that is amazing. So those are the picks for the final week of the season. In terms of our uh, little competition, we run between ourselves. It doesn't really matter at this point. Ronan has won. Uh, I have come second, and Connor has. Yeah, Connor. Uh, bad year for you on that front, man. But uh, yeah, Ronan, Ronan ran away with it. I think he's something like uh, something like eight games ahead at this point, and there's only uh, five that me, he, me and him disagree on. So he's got that wrapped up. I should have just picked the opposite of him in every single game and see what happens. But uh, I doubt that would have gone particularly well. Um, so that's yeah. Enjoy your picks of the Browns and Jacksonville. Yeah, <laughs> and San Francisco. I, hey, I, San Francisco was my hero pick that came through last week. So, yeah, no, no, not, not a wise one in this circumstance. So, guys, that's, uh, that's everything in terms of the, in terms of the immediate, uh, plan that we had to talk about. We've talked about it. It's been fantastic, I think. What's going on? Any, anything else? Anything else you want to throw in there before we, before we wrap up and sign off for 2016? Nothing too crazy for me now. Just, Tipping away, I'll be down in Dublin soon, so I'll be I'll be down in house for the next one. Very good. Looking yeah, forward to and, it. Uh, Come to reclaim your say. reclaim your chair as the as the uh, moderator or whatever you want to call us. Party party fun time host chair. Yeah. <laughs> so the host, yeah, the hosting role. I've, I've enjoyed it. It's been I've liked having all the power, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, you have no power over me. I will talk no matter what. <laughs> that, that, that is true. Like guys, you do not want to know how much I had to cut last week. Like it was just me and Ronan. I couldn't stop him. He was like, I couldn't control him. Like he was running over me, like I was the Bills' defense, and he was JHI, like oh, gosh, unstoppable. <laughs> it was good. It was good was... So I'm going to pop out for a few pints, have a bit of crack at some of the Donegal folk, and then possibly go out and walk a couple of sea cliffs tomorrow. So that'd be fun. Try not to do that while you're still under the influence of the pints, yeah, lad.
Yeah, I'll try to avoid. Well, I kind of I won't be able to. I won't be able to go if I'm under the influence of the pints because uh, I'll be the one driving. <laughs> hey, that's never stopped people from rural Ireland driving before, unfortunately. Especially not Donegal. Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. maybe Michael Floyd can move to Donegal. I think he might fit in quite well down there. Yeah. Also, could you imagine him going up for a highball? He'd definitely make the fucking senior guy team. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> now there's a transition you don't see enough. American football. To Gaelic football, that I, uh, if, if you want something to watch, they have a fish out of water or some shite. It's a, a sports one on RTE where they send Irish sports people out to learn new sports. They sent a guy player out to train with American football team for a month and a half. How did that go from? Great. He was like, he was, he was very much like, oh, this is a lot more intricate than I thought it was. It was, it was like very much kind of like the con- preconceived notions a lot of people would have about it. But uh, no, he was very good in some of them because he's kind of essentially a like. He was a ready-to-go tight end type. I think mm. he was like 6'5", 210 or so. Like, so he was, but like he didn't. He wasn't expect. He wasn't expecting the speed and the, the the power of the impacts and stuff. But yeah, no, it's an interesting watch if you're stuck for something to watch. No, I might have to check that out. That actually does sound really interesting. I do enjoy those kind of because um, you know when people are athletes, they're athletes. They can they have the, the base ability, but it's always interesting to see how their skills translate and what yeah, different things people good, have to pick up. So guys, I think that's probably everything from us. Come see us on Pinterest. I think you forgot that last week. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Um, oh yeah, we, we we didn't mention the Pro Bowl picks this week. Don't worry, there will be a Pro Bowl special. Yeah, Pro Bowl week special. Yeah. I've yeah, even got so a good. You get your in-depth analysis, but we felt that does like that. Those selections require a whole episode. No. So if you're looking for your Pro Bowl hype analysis. Don't worry, it's coming in the it's coming in the next few weeks. Now you'll you'll know who love uh, who love Fitz's kind of kicking corner. There'll be a good fifteen minutes of Marquette Kin talk from uh, from Harry. Oh fuck! Like no, I'm I'm not even joking, right? Like like the Pro Bowl selections this year are so bad, even I care about them, and that's saying something. Like uh, NFL voting NFL voting public, you're idiots. So on that note, having once again. got to the part of the episode where we try to alienate all of our listeners i think we're gonna sign off so it's goodbye from me goodbye from connor and goodbye from ronan this has been all four quarters thanks very much for listening guys we'll see you in 2017 let's hope it's a better video than this one take care